Good morning. Again, my name is Rob Heron, and I've been the campus minister with Reform University Fellowship at App State for the past, coming up on three years. My wife is Mary Lee, and our children are Robert and Faye. And we have loved being in this area. We love Boone, and we have loved getting to, to know the churches in this area. Thank you for the ways you have loved us and supported us and loved the students of App and what God's doing there on the campus. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the third commandment. We're going to be looking at Exodus 20, verse 7. There, as we jump in, you can turn there in your Bibles to Exodus 20, verse 7. There, there's some presuppositions, there's some pre-assumptions that we must bring with us to the Ten Commandments that, that come out of our own confession and, and the creeds and, and what we understand as true from uh, about God and his word. And we first, we, we assume, we pre-assume rightly that the law is good. The commands that God gives, his rules, his statutes, they're good because the lawgiver is good. All of God's words are breathed out by him, and so his commands are good. They must be good because they come from a good God. The second pre-assumption is that the Lord redeems, and then he gives the law. That is the story of Israel, and that is our story. God redeems, he saves a people and calls them to himself, and then he gives his law and tells them this is what it looks like to respond to my redemption. This is what it looks like to live in my love. Another way of saying this is that for the Christian life, grace, God's unmerited, demerited favor, it precedes command or law. It always goes before it. Another way of saying it is that indicative, what is true, always comes before imperative, what to do. So I want to make sure that that's clear as, as, we, as we look at this. Also, it, it's important to, that we pre-assume that these commands are central. Why are we looking at, at these commands and not the the many, many others that we could be looking at. And it's because the Bible itself presents the Ten Commandments as central. God is depicted as writing these commandments with his own finger and scribing them into stone. These commands are, are put into the Ark of the Covenant. And so they're central to the worship of God's people. And in many ways, Israel and the Christian church throughout history has used these commands, viewed them as the central commands that every other command or rule is an application of. These are central and every other command fits the, the principles and the truths of these commands and applies them in different contexts, in different ways. But also, and, and most importantly, these commandments are portraits of Jesus, of who he is. These are windows into the beauty and majesty of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And, and for us, we... We live them out because we are united to him. These commandments are for us, united to him, and these are windows into the beauty of Jesus and so into the, the beauty of the life that he's called us to. So that's why we would look at them now. They stand at the heart of the Christian life. They, they stand at the heart of what it means to live as God's people, to live in his love. And also, I, I've been teaching on the Ten Commandments to our students and now, and now here, because I think there, obviously, there's so much confusion about God's law, how it applies to our lives, whether it applies to our lives, and whether we should want it to. That's a, a question that comes up with students very often is, are these commandments good? Or are they preventing me from, from living the life I'm meant to live, to live the flourishing good life? And the answer, again, is that 
they do apply, and we should want them to apply because they're given by a lawgiver who is beautiful and perfect and is calling us to live a life of flourishing. So with all that in mind, let's read together Exodus 20, verse 7, the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of God. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for your word that is breathed out for us, that points us to Jesus, and your spirit has written into our souls. Would your word press more and more into our lives, bodies, minds, hearts, souls, will, and strength, so that we might see you more clearly. We might love Jesus more dearly as he has loved us first. And would your spirit work this word, this this command into us, that we might be directed toward the good life, toward the life of flourishing that you have meant for us to live and that you are holding out for us in perfection and glory. And so would you do all of this according to your word and promise this morning? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. When I'm at a coffee shop or at a restaurant, I tell baristas or I tell people making my order that my name is Robert. That's what I always tell them. They say, who is this order for? And I say, Robert. And technically, that's true because technically my legal name is Robert. But that's not really the name my mama gave me. No one has ever called me Robert. My son's named Robert. And that's kind of a helpful distinction because no one calls me Robert. But I tell baristas that my name is Robert because no matter how much I try to articulate Who is this order for? It's for Rob. They will always say Bob or Ron or Rod or Harold or something else. I have no idea where they got. And so I tell them my name is Robert so that I don't have to deal with the inconvenience. But on one level, it's really not that inconvenient to just spell it out for them. Or it's also really not that it's not that inconvenient for them to say Bob because I know what they mean. This coffee is for Bob, I know what they mean, and so I can just go get it, but it just bothers me to hear them call me by a wrong name. Robert itself is is enough of an offense, but to hear them say Ron, it just bothers me, even if I know what they, they mean, because my name matters to me, and your name matters to you. And just think about all the ways in our lives, our names and the treatment of our names, how weighty that is for us. Anything about when someone calls you the wrong name or they forget your name or they just uh, ignore your name. Sometimes we know often when people, they don't remember our name and we can, we can see it written on their faces. And even as we are called to be merciful to one another, it still bothers us a little bit, doesn't it? Or to have your name attached to something that's not true about you. We long for our name to be treated as weighty, for our names to be honored. And we we are afraid that our names will be dragged through the mud, that our reputation will be dragged through the mud, because your name, it matters. On one level, your name is just a word. It's just syllables put together. And words are cheap, right? Words get thrown around so often, and so aren't names on some level cheap. Americans are more and more changing their names legally or referring to themselves by different names than the names they were given. So it might seem like, what's in a name? Does it really matter? The answer we know from our experience is, of course it matters. Of course your name is weighty and you want it to be honored. 
And so how much more, how much more should the name of God be honored? How much more should God's name be treated correctly and weighed with honor? This gives us a window into what the third commandment is after. When it tells us that you shall not take God's name in vain, the positive side is that you should honor God's name. I should honor God's name. God's name should be treated with weighty honor and reverence that it deserves. But what does that mean? What is, it, what is this commandment all about? What does it mean to honor God's name, to not take it in vain? And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're looking at three different things. We're going to look at the power of the name, the honor of the name, and the name above all names. So the power of the name, one, two, the honor of the name, and three, the name above all names. So let's jump in and look at the power of God's name. Well, what is God's name? Well, it might seem obvious. It's God, right? Well, God gives a lot of names for himself in the Bible, but he gives one particular personal name in Exodus 3 when Moses asks, what should I tell the people? What God should I say sent me? And God gives the name, roughly spoken in our language, Yahweh which has sometimes been translated as, as meaning I am. Right? That's, a, that's a, a good translation for it, or I am who I am. This is the God who is. He doesn't just exist. He is, he is above all things. He is independent of his creation, and he speaks all things by his power. He is an independent and free, perfectly happy being himself. This is the God who is. I am. And that is the, the personal name God gives to his people to refer to him as. And this, of course, is a name with great power because God identifies himself with it. And over time, Jewish people sought to revere this name, Yahweh. They, they sought to revere it so highly they stopped referring to the name out loud so that when that name was, was referenced, they would use the word Lord. And so in your Bibles, when you see the word Lord in all capitals, it's that personal name, Yahweh. And, and that impulse to, to reverence the name so highly, whatever else we might, might say about that impulse, it is it's a proper impulse because God's name is powerful. God's name is powerful because it identifies him. He, or better to say, he identifies himself by name. Well, ancient people, they thought that if you knew the name of a God, that gave you some kind of power over the God. You can manipulate the God or harness it's power if you knew the name. God does not give away any of his power by revealing his name, but by giving it to his people, he invites them to call upon him and to call upon his power, to call upon him himself. Because God's name is who he is. God's name is who he is. I mean, he's not just a name, both in the sense that God is not just a collection of syllables, and also, God, God's name is who he is does not imply that any name could exhaustively capture who he is. He is beyond full comprehension. And yet, when he reveals himself by name, he is identifying himself truly, or he is showing who he is. He is saying, this is who I am. And by saying, this is who I am, he is, again, identifying himself so that his people can call upon his power. God's identity is so closely tied with his name. Have you ever looked at a friend, a dear friend, let's say a friend named Sarah, 
And when you think about Sarah by name, you think she is such a Sarah. Or if you have a friend named Tim, you think he is such a Tim. But why is that? I don't know if you've ever had this experience where in general, when you have a dear friend and you think about their names, if I think about my wife, Mary Lee, I can't think about her having a different name. It seems almost inconceivable. Well, that's not because there's some essential Sarah-ness out there or Tim-ness or Mary Lee-ness. It's because the identity of Mary Lee is so closely tied for me with the name. Again, I don't know if you've had that experience where you meet people and just so often you just get picture them by a different name, especially the people that you are, are close with. And again, it, that's because that we connect identity and name so closely together. Well, your name is, is powerful. Your name is weighty because you are deeply attached to your name. You're deeply attached. I mean, this is true just in the way we perceive one another. If we bring to mind a name like Tim, we not only think of the person we, we know most dearly named Tim, and we think of not just physical characteristics or experiences with that person, but there's emotion attached to it. That name can be can have affection attached to it or disdain or disinterest because the name is so closely attached to identity. And this is true also just for the way we know ourselves, the way your name is treated. When people say your name, how they say it, or how they treat your name, what they attach your name to, what kind of reputation your name is attached to, it indicates how you are valued and how you are loved. Name and identity go right together. If that's true for us, how much more is it true for God who reveals himself by name? The God who is infinite in power, if he identifies himself with a name, then that is so closely attached to who he is. So again, God's name is who he is. His name is his power. His name is his reputation. His name is his presence. God's name is so tightly connected to his identity in Scripture that, that, that his people know his power by calling on his name. His, his reputation is so tied to his name that, that his name can never be attached to anything that would defy his character, who he is. And his name, when it is known rightly, when the, when the name is proclaimed rightly and weighed correctly, God is present. He is present where his name is known. We know God by name. And how we treat God's name indicates for us how we value and how we love him. How do you treat his name? That indicates how you value and how you love him because his name is powerful. Because he has given it. So that's the first thing. That's the power of the name. Second, let's look at the honor of the name. What does it mean to honor this name because it's so powerful? Well, the third commandment in a nutshell is this. We are to honor God's name. You can read it again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God will not hold us guiltless for taking his name in vain because to dishonor the name is to dishonor him. And so it's very serious. And to take God's name in vain, what does that mean? Well, it seems to mean to use it in a worthless way, to attach it to vanity, to attach it to worthless things, to use it flippantly, selfishly, or in a, simply in a way that does not reflect who God is. 
That would be a worthless use of his name. And so practically, what does that mean for us? Well, the, the command tells us that God's name is not to be spoken in vain. That, that seems to be the way it's always been understood. We should not speak God's name in a worthless way. Our words should not attach God's name to worthless things. When we use God's name, we should be careful to honor him as he deserves. And to note, I mean, we may not in, in common usage use the name Yahweh, but when we call the God of the Bible Lord or Father or simply God, we are referring to God as he's revealed himself in the Bible. And so, again, while there is a personal name that he gives to his people, all the names he gives are personal, whether that is Father, Lord, Jesus, Spirit. But just in general, we know that the name Lord is different in Spanish than in English. So it's not just about syllables. It's not just about about saying certain syllables in a certain way. Uh, A pastor and Christian writer named Ed Clowney, he wrote this, The name of God is much more than a combination of letters or sounds. When the Bible speaks of God's name, it's not indicating that a particular set of letters has any kind of mystical power. The name of God is the Bible's way of speaking of God's presence in his revelation, how he's showed himself to be. Using God's name is a serious act not because certain sounds are holy, not just about the syllables, but because God himself is present in his name and all his works reveal his name. So that is what it means to, to honor the name. It's not just honoring a set of syllables, it's to honor God as he's revealed himself to us. And it, I, I think when I've been expressing and talking about this with, with students, this seems so old-fashioned. Students, some of them have grandparents or parents who, when that when the child will, will use God's name in a flippant way, the grandparents and the parents will say, you shouldn't do that. Do not do that. Do not use the name that way. And the student will, will think to himself or herself, that's so old-fashioned. Culturally, that may have made sense in the 1950s, but we're at a different time now. It just doesn't, it doesn't matter as much as you think it does, dad or grandpa. That, and that actually might be true if, if God's name were only syllables. But because God has revealed himself by name, identified himself with his name, then it's not old-fashioned. If his name is his power, his reputation, his presence, then then to speak the name is a powerful act. The name must be honored. And so just as as much as, as, as we think about our words, every single person should be careful about how we attribute God's name to anything attaching it to anything, whether that's a political movement and saying God is with this movement, or a personal decision and saying God told me to do this. We must be very careful about how we attach God's name to anything. So it matters how we use our words, but we can notice that what is the, the verb used in Exodus 20, verse 7? It's take, which is to bear or carry. There's great implications here for how we speak, but also, in a way, what this is, is getting at is that God's name is stamped onto every single person simply by virtue of being made in his image. God has stamped his name onto every single person because he has made them in his image. And so every single person bears his name in that sense. And no matter who we are, we ought to honor the name in every single way. But also in a particular way, if you're part of God's people, we who are part of God's people through faith in Jesus, God has so stamped his name onto you 
that the, the book of Revelation describes the, the end of, uh, of history and the entrance into glory as having all of our foreheads stamped with the name of the Lord. The name of Jesus, who is Lord, is stamped onto our foreheads forever. And so we bear God's name in a particular way as his people. And so we are to honor that name, to bear it, to carry it forth into the world with honor, with a weightiness. When we think about powerful pop culture moments, there's probably not going to be one that's more powerful for a long time other than the moment at the Academy Awards or the Oscars from the, this past year where the comedian Chris Rock was referencing the wife of Will Smith. And he was joking about her and, and making jokes at her expense. And what did Will Smith do? He got up and he walked onto stage and he struck Chris Rock on the face. And he went back and he sat down and to appropriately paraphrase what he said, it was essentially, take my wife's name out of your mouth. Or keep my wife's name out of your mouth. I don't mean to comment on the rightness or the wrongness of a, of a pop culture moment. That's a conversation for another time. But this is such a clear picture of zeal, passion for a name. Keep my wife's name out of your mouth. It, it indicates that it's not just about the name, but it's about the person. To, to dishonor the name is to dishonor the person. And that struck in Will Smith, obviously, this powerful chord of wanting to protect a name. We obey the third commandment when we honor God's name in every single way. When it inspires zeal in our hearts for the name, an impulse to protect the name and to hold it up as weighty. And that means with our words. God's name can never be attributed to anything that would betray his character. So that would forbid very clearly attaching God's name to wrongful actions or abuse. But we should be careful about the way we connect God's name to, to anything. And to say, because it connect his name with our own decisions. If we say God told me to, it's one thing if that, if what follows that is God's word. So God told me to remember the poor, thinking of Galatians 2 for one example, then we would be right. That was a, would be a good use of the name. But if we say God told me to, to leave this, this marriage, then that would be to use the name in a flippant way and even in a way that uh, potentially would be denying God's honor in what he has said elsewhere in his word. If we say God is teaching me, it's one thing if we follow that up with God is teaching me to love my enemies. Then that would be very clear from the Gospel of Matthew and the, and, and the Sermon on the Mount. But if we say God is teaching me to focus on myself, that is likely a flippant use of God's name, attaching it even uh, to, to my own selfishness, even baptizing my own selfishness likely with his name. We should be reverent in the way that we use God's name, both in humor, thinking about the ways we, we sometimes attach God's name to, to jokes in a Christian setting. We should be reverent in the way we use God's name in prayer. A, a powerful a part of uh, Kevin DeYoung's book on the Ten Commandments has him reflecting on family dinners and praying before family dinners. And this struck a chord with me. And he's, he's talking about sitting down with his family and his kids are, especially thinking about when they were younger, that it's chaotic at the table. And just in that moment, he just wants to 
just wants to eat, just want to eat. And so just kind of rattles off a prayer that's very flippant and essentially thoughtless. And then afterwards realizing, what did I just do? Was I attempting to use God's name as some kind of magical formula that you just kind of throw out there and it blesses the meal without holding it up in reverence? Which is not to say that we cannot pray in desperation or that children should not pray because children's prayers are often just uh, babbling and that is actually in, invited. But we are to pray and to speak and hold up God's name with great honor. And when we, we obey this, when we ourselves bear God's name and carry it out into the world with honor in every single way. In a sense, every single sin, any com- breaking of God's commands is a breaking of this commandment. We think about intentionally polluting a stream would be breaking this commandment because God's name, the majesty of his name is seen in all the earth. It's seen in the, the beauty of the stream. For Christians in particular, we carry God's name with us. We bear it. And so God's reputation is either being honored in our lives as we live in faith and repentance or it is being dishonored. When the world looks at your life, do they see a reflection of, of who God is as he's revealed himself? Are they seeing someone who wears the uniform but then trashes what it represents? We should ask ourselves that question. And so what is so challenging about this commandment? What is so challenging for me is so often I do not prize God's name. And that would, would by necessity mean that I do not prize his honor. When, when I speak God's name, when I hear the name of the Lord, so often it, it feels empty or, or I use it flippantly or it just doesn't hold much weight for me. And I think that is because uh, there, so often I do not prize God himself. But also that's because I, I so highly prize my name. I so highly want to, to honor and have other people honor my name and my identity. My name for me is so, so weighty. I care so much about how people use my name and treat my name and how my reputation is used correctly or incorrectly. Or wanting to, to compose a certain reputation, a certain name for myself. And that's so weighty that there seems to be little weight to God's name. There seems to be little room for that weight in my heart. So what does it mean to honor God's name? It means to honor it with our words and with our whole selves. Every part of our lives, words and action would be bearing the name and honoring it, reverencing it. How do we do that? This brings us to the third thing, the name above all names. Who is the name above all names? What is Jesus, but what does that even mean? Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who took on our human nature to rescue us from self-destruction, who also took on a human name. The Son of God took a lowly human name and bore it out into the world. And how? what did he do with it? In all of his life, Jesus perfectly God the Father's name in his words and in his whole life. And in his death, Jesus submitted his own honor, allowing his name to be dragged through the mud of our own rebellion, which is at its heart putting our name above God's name. And he did this for the sake of God's name. 
When God told his people that he is Yahweh, I am, it also carries with it the sense that I am to you. I am for you. I, I am your God. And I will be your God and you will be my people. It indicated steadfast love and promise. Jesus honored the name of God, living the life that we could not live and dying the death that comes as a consequence of our self-name, self-seeking glory. And because Jesus did this, what name is he given? You can read in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, where Paul writes, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name that is above all names is the name of the Lord. That is attributed to Jesus. He did not earn it in his life, death, and resurrection, but in his, in his work, he was identified as who he is. He is the Lord. And seeking to honor God's name, then, means that we would seek to honor Jesus' name, because he is Lord. And here, of course, is the promise of the gospel. When you entrust your name to the Lord, when you entrust your name and your very self to Jesus, you are named by him with his name. You are named by his name. It is his name, our Lord, that is and will be fully and finally stamped onto your forehead, onto your very soul when you see him face to face. The name you bear, it tells you, it tells you that you have been so honored and so valued that God himself bore and conquered the dishonor that we have heaped upon ourselves by seeking the glory of our own names. The name you bear it tells you that we have been loved so richly that through Jesus Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God and called by the family name, called sons and daughters with all the rights and privileges of the children of God. This is the name that you bear. All throughout high school, when Jamie would leave the house, her dad would tell her, hey, remember, you're a smith. And she heard in the reminder the implication, be good, don't embarrass me. And when she inevitably got below an A or got home past curfew, her dad would sharply remind her, hey, you're a smith. And the implication, you've messed up. You've embarrassed me. This phrase was repeated again and again as a prescriptive reminder. Hey, remember, you're a smith. And when she went off to college, Jamie struggled. She missed classes and she would numb her sadness in every way possible numbed it all the way to the end of having to to leave school and come back home. And when she got back to the house, her dad was waiting on the porch. And she looked at him and she she knew what was coming. It was the speech. You're a smith. What have you done to my name? What have you done to my name? What did her heart long to hear? What was the longing that had been quieted through years of hearing the speech? Her heart longed for a father who would run to the car and swing it open and take her in his arms and say, you're a smith, which means you are my daughter. I'm so glad you have my name. And having my name, it means that you are loved by me, no matter what. To be a Christian is not to be someone who makes her name great, not even through obedience. 
It's to be someone who is named by the love of the Lord, by the steadfast commitment of the Lord. Each one of us has broken this commandment in thought, word, and deed, and heaped dishonor upon the name that is above all names. And yet each one of us is invited to be identified by the one who displays his honor by removing our dishonor and calling us, naming us, beloved. How do we honor this name? We honor the name of the Lord by living in reverence, in reverence for his gracious merciful love. That is how we honor it. If I'm aware of the weightiness of this name, then there is no room for seeking the honor of my name and there is no need. What greater honor, what greater identity, what greater reputation could I have than to be named with this name as one who is beloved by this Lord? If I know the weightiness of of his name, the name of Jesus who is Lord, then in my words, I will honor the Lord. If I know the weightiness of of this name and this gracious love, how can I speak his name or hear his name without a great zeal for it to be honored and held up? If I know the weightiness uh, weightiness of his name, I want to honor that name with all of my life. To not seek the glory of my name, but that in my reputation, the reputation of the Lord would be magnified. His power, his reputation, and his presence. I shall want it to be stamped more and more onto my life visibly because it has already been written into my soul. The encouragement, the challenge for us this morning is what name are you seeking to honor? And would we this morning be renewed with this command to to honor the name of the Lord because he is the one who has loved and honored us? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your name, the power of your name, the honor of your name. I would thank you that Jesus himself is the one with the name above all names. Would we honor him and seek his glory in all ways because he loved us first. We ask this in your name. Amen.